Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this scary basement, which is full of dolls whose faces open up to reveal flesh with teeth, a caveman serial killer, and a book made up entirely of human ears. <laughs> I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. <laughs> Let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing that happened to us this week. What went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones, Mikey? I had a legit scary thing happen to me in that I was uh, dog sitting for a friend of mine. Ooh. I was over at his house. and Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Before you start, what kind of dog? Oh, <laughs> Very important. She's the cutest. <laughs> she's a little pit bull, but she's whatever. She's some kind of mix. And whatever mix she is, uh. She's always puppy size. She's forever oh. a puppy. She's the cutest dog. My favorite dog. Just super chill. Just like sleeps all day. She's That's just like wonderful. my best friend. I've watched her uh, at times for years. Love her so much. Um, put her in her little dog kennel because I went out to grab a drink with a friend and got a phone call from my friend in Hawaii who's like, hey, the alarm in my house is going off. Uh everything okay okay and so i like bail on this friend i'm like i gotta go pay the tab and i do and uh-huh. i just like bolt out of there drive home it's uh-huh. the tensest drive home i like i didn't even have music on i was just like staring like in the zone gotta gotta get home like what am i gonna find when i get there why yeah. did the house it was the house alarms like the security system went off okay scary and i get there roxy the dog cage is open Everything else is the same. The dog, nowhere to be found. Um. And I'm just like running around this house. Like, where is this dog? What happened? Did I lose the dog? Has she been abducted? Are they going to ransom? Because I'll pay it. I'll pay whatever they ask. Roxy, Uh, the dog bit her way out of the cage, went into the shower. What? One of those glass door showers and got herself locked in. So she's the one who set off the alarm. It was like the motion detector. Okay. She's just running around. And then I, I'm i like running around the house. I finally go into the bathroom. She's in the damn shower. Like you're a dog. You are so motivated to get out of this kennel that you bite your way out. I'm assuming it's metal. Was it metal? Was it plastic? Yeah, it was metal. It was like, it was like one of those, like you can picture it's kind of, I don't know. I actually, now that you were talking about it, I don't know if it's metal or plastic. Either it's way though, just biting through kennel? that, the idea of biting through either of those is terrifying. But you were so She's... determined to do that. And where do you go? The shower? <laughs> Yeah, I think she was just exploring. Oh, okay. (laughs) And it was like one of those doors where like it only opens the one direction. So when she was in and it was closed, she didn't have like hands to pull on the handle. Mm -hmm. She was just like could only push up against it and it wouldn't open. Very sad. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you found her and there was no like break in or anything. (laughs) I would have fought. I would have fought any monsters. I'm sure that dog knows that and appreciates that about you, Mikey. That's why you get to, that's why you're the dog's godfather, I think. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. (laughs) That's why she kisses my ring. (laughs) Roxy, what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week? Scariest thing that happened to me, my house got invaded. So similarly, but no alarms went off or anything. (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of time. Before the podcast started, so my roommate got a bunch of danishes, and he will get them at Costco and be like, I want to eat these, but there are too many of these for me to not feel guilty eating them by myself, so here, you share them with me. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take a guilt danish. That sounds delicious. A gainish, they're called. Gainish? (laughs) Garnish? A guilt danish. Guilt danish, I see. That's its couple name. (laughs) Maybe we should workshop that a little bit. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I went to go open the, like, plastic clamshell case that's sealed. I put my hand on it, and um, there are ants crawling all over the exterior of the case because of all of the sugar on the danishes. <laughs> it attracted them in. I didn't know where they came from. So, like, for 20 minutes, I was running around like chicken with my head cut off, throwing shit away, and uh, getting rid of all the <laughs> ants I can find stomping on them. Um, and then trying to find out where they came from and put, like, ant traps down. I don't know where they came from. Uh, unfortunately. So... Roxy, how long were these danishes in your house before the ants materialized? And they were 
safe and fine for like oh five days or something and then just today the ants descended it was like why why it took them five days maybe to chew through the foundation i don't know okay (laughs) i was terrified that like he had brought them home that day and set them out and then they were covered like that's a a sign of some kind of elder beast lurking within that like the ants come first and then the blood runs down the walls and then the horror starts you know, they're having a lot of strange noises at night where it sounds like people are walking around when I know my roommate's asleep and I'm downstairs. There's nobody upstairs. So, you know, maybe it's a portent. Maybe. Roxy, you might have an eldritch beast in your house. Oh, I mean, if they pay rent, it might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> my main concern. I can split it three ways then. It's much better. <laughs> oh, shit. There he is. Oh my god, Demon Bot. Our boy Demon Bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were tasked to watch the 2016 Korean zombie film Train to Pusan. Did you watch the film? I did. I know I did, Roxy. Okay, I did too. So I think I think we're good. Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. Train to Busan. A zombie movie. It was great. Train to Busan opens with a man in a truck. He hits a deer on the road, and after a brief check of his car, drives off to leave the deer corpse. Little does he know, that dang deer is now undead. And we cut to fund manager Sekwoo, who is a selfish, workaholic, divorced dad, who is our protagonist, and he has a daughter named Suwon. And all Suwon wants is to go to her mother's house for her birthday. And since Sekwoo feels guilty for not attending his daughter's music recital, which caused her to get stage fright and, like, be ridiculed in front of the class, uh, he decides to grant her request and take her to Busan to his ex-wife in the middle of the night. (laughs) We then meet a whole cast of characters on this train, including a high school baseball team, an insufferably selfish businessman named Yang Suk, strongman Sang-hwa, and his pregnant wife. We also meet a pair of elderly sisters, a sycophantic train attendant, and a homeless stowaway who is very traumatized by something he recently saw. That's a harbinger if I ever saw it. <laughs> and chaos ensues uh, pretty quickly after that as an infected young woman gets on the train right as it begins to depart. She collapses, the train attendant goes to check on her, and uh, don't you know it, she's uh, a zombie. She starts spreading the virus immediately and very quickly in this small contained space of the train. A few survivors are able to access news reports to tell them about the scope of the outbreak, so it's not just their train. And they also hear government lip service that is literally lying to them about how bad things are. Sekwu then finds out that a biotech company that his fund manager company helped out was the cause of the outbreak. Desperate, he hits up his army contacts to find out a safe route and to get protection for himself and his daughter in the midst of this zombie outbreak. Thinking the military at the next station has secured it, they stop there, only to find that it is actually not safe at all, and all the (laughs) army guys are also zombies. So they have to run back to the original train they were on, and they lose a bunch of people along the way. Seikwu is separated from his daughter, Suan, and Sanghua is separated from his pregnant wife. So we've got, like, two groups of people trying to get back to each other. After using their phones, the groups contact their lost loved ones and make the grim decision to travel through the infected, through the entire train... To reconnect, while fighting desperately, Sanghua and Sekwu go through a tunnel and notice that the zombies halt their movements. It turns out these zombies cannot see in the dark, so the three of them use this to their advantage. They all reunite and make their way to the remaining survivor car. Uh, however, the survivors in that car will not let them in, claiming that all of our main characters are infected. And the selfish businessman, Yon Suk, has convinced everyone on the train to do his bidding, to keep them out. And strongman Sang-hwa unfortunately has to sacrifice himself to buy time for them to smash the door and force their way into the remaining car. Uh, his wife is absolutely devastated by this. It is quite a sad scene. True bummer. The final casualty is one of the elderly sisters, who further uses herself as bait for the others to escape. Her sister in the other car is absolutely broken, seeing this selfless sacrifice. Even with all the survivors in the same car, Yang Suk, being the absolute asshole he is, lies and continues to say that they're infected, rallying the remaining survivors to kick our group of main characters out and into another car. Begrudgingly, they leave. 
However, Young-Suk's selfish actions have caused the remaining elderly sister to snap, and she decides uh, <laughs> all these selfish bastards can die just like her sister did. <laughs> she opens the door and unleashes the undead into the train car, and our remaining survivors hear the carnage from beyond the door that they were kicked into the smaller compartment of. The train tracks are blocked, and the train stops. We need to find a new train, as the conductor instructs us. However, as they leave, another train that is on fire careens towards them. <laughs> our, our group is forced to run away. As it crashes, they are once again separated. Sadly, the homeless man and the remaining baseball team members are killed. The baseball kids are killed as a result of Young-Suk somehow surviving the death car and leading a bunch of zombies to these poor kids. He continues his asshole behavior even further by leaving the cr- train conductor to die after he got off of the moving train to go and save his life. <laughs> this Yong Suk has traumatized you, Roxy. He's, he's the worst. It makes me so mad every time I forgot how mad he made me. <laughs> <laughs> Seikwu, Suan, and the pregnant lady are now the only three survivors, and they barely make it onto a new train car that the conductor has set up for the survivors to use. However, a now infected Yong Suk is also there. Seikwu protects his daughter and the pregnant lady, but is bitten himself. After a tearful goodbye, Seikwu kills himself right before he turns into a zombie. His final thoughts are of the day his daughter was born, and he dies with a smile on his face. Suwon and the pregnant lady finally make it to the tunnel entrance of Busan, and Suwon finally sings the song that she messed up at her recital. That is, in fact, the only thing that keeps them from being shot by the military who is waiting there. <laughs> They're safe for now. That's Train to Busan, Roxy. Train to Busan! Wow. What a movie. What'd you think of it, Mikey? This is your first time watching it. It is. I loved it. I loved it with my whole heart. It's really interesting to me how zombies are kind of the same idea over and over. If you get Mm -hmm. bitten, you will turn into a zombie. There's always going to be... Like, it feels like there are the tropes that we always see. There's a dad and a daughter, and, like, one of them's going to get bitten, and they're going to have to sacrifice themselves. There's always the guy who gets bit and won't tell anybody. It's like, we kind of see the same things over and over again, but this slight remix that this movie does throughout, like, the train setting? Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. What a great setting for a zombie movie. And it just felt like this movie, more so than any other zombie movie I can remember found really intriguing ways to play on this idea of zombies, like, piling up. (laughs) It felt like there were so many scenes where they were, like, on one side of the glass, and there were tons of zombies that were just, like, eventually there were just so many physical bodies that they broke through the glass and moved forward. Yeah. Uh, It was just, like, a lot of really smart little twists on a zombie movie. I loved it. I agree, especially with it being so claustrophobic and, you know, you can only sit a couple of people across in a train car. So you have to think of much different ways to kind of navigate through that. One of the coolest parts I found was when they decided, oh, yeah, hey, if we crawl along the top of the baggage thing, they won't be able mm-hmm. to see us. So we can totally do it this way, which I thought was very smart. No, it was one of the it was wild. They they have this entire sequence where the two groups are separated. One group's at the front of the train, one group's at the back. And they're like, we've got to get through these five cars to get through our get to our group. And each car was different. Yes. And yes. I was yes, like, yes. Wow. They figured out a different way to fight zombies in each of these cars, and I thought they were done. And then they were like, oh, we've got one more car to get through, and that's when they get the, like, climbing up in the luggage rack. It's just, like, so many smart, interesting ways. I don't know. I think about movies a lot. Now as somebody who, uh, not to brag, is a professional (laughs) writer. Sometimes movie writing is, like, a puzzle. And you've got to think about, like, well, how do we do this again? Yeah. (laughs) I, we had we solved this problem of how do you fight through zombies in a train car, and now we've got to solve it four or five more times, and it's just kind of like, it's sort of the way I feel about, shoot, what was it? Uh, Avengers Endgame. How it's just like, it's incredible that you pulled this off. It's not only great, but like... That must have been really hard to write. <laughs> it was my uh, entire reaction, this whole movie. Yeah, and when you're just thinking about the literal physical things they're doing, you know, like point A to point B, how do we make this interesting or unique? But then you've got all of the emotional components to it as well with all these different characters interacting. And like the three, yeah. the groups of the three guys. So it's uh, Seikwu, who's our main character, who goes through a whole arc where he's kind of just like a 
selfish, self-serving kind of jerk just thinking about money. I called him bad daddy. Bad daddy. Yes, it's, you're not wrong. <laughs> At the beginning, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's very focused on his job, not focused on his daughter. Yeah. I think part not of it good comes way to from- start. <laughs> Too, though, the mother who uh, lives with them and helps take care of the daughter and also just like he wanted to take care of his mom. I think they were very poor. So it made him very focused on making money so his daughter wouldn't have to live like he did, mm. which you get a bit of it from the mom. And the mom is just she kind of realizes that he ha- is far gone. He kind of lost track of why he was doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel like a lot of times you'll have like, <sighs> I don't think this is a lot of times. I think this is just me and my experience. <laughs> okay. As I was saying, I was like, no, this is probably not universal. (laughs) But like, I was so close to my grandparents because they were kind of distant. They were like running their own businesses and they kind Mm. of left their kids to their own devices. And my mom was like, when I have a kid, I'm not going to do that to them at all. I'm going to be there all the time in their life. And I felt stifled. (laughs) Like, and it was Mm. why I was so close. I feel like it was why I was so close to my grandparents. But like, this idea that like, I'm going to fix my childhood and give my kid what I didn't have. It just swings the pendulum back the other way, and they end up resenting you for a different reason, but they still end up resenting you. The point is, kids and parents don't get along, and they shouldn't communicate. Uh, I don't. <laughs> um, I would disagree with that. <laughs> I think the movie kind of shows us that, too, because Suwon being able to talk to her dad about how, like, why their mother left, you know, because he mm-hmm. only thought about himself, he didn't think about other people seems to really hit home and he seems to realize that oh yeah i haven't been doing this right uh so yeah. he kind of comes to that realization and also you've got our cool strong man guy let me look up his name where is it very better saying yeah saying and like he's about to be a dad samoa joe samoa joe he looks like a pro wrestler named samoa joe <laughs> well he's got the build for it i think he's actually this was one of his first acting roles and i think oh. he was the stunt guy for our main character that that actor in the past oh so like they they were good at working together they are a different height they are a different build (laughs) i do not think he should have been that guy stunt oh no sorry not stunt doubles like stunt trainer like training him how to do physical stuff sorry (laughs) i misspoke i do buy that and then as long as they don't have to look alike yeah no (laughs) so they've kind of got like this disparaging or not disparaging and they've got this differing philosophy kind of on how to be dads and they have and he's not even a dad yet in in the movie but he already feels like he's more prepared <laughs> than the if guy who is an actual already so dad much like one of my all-time favorite pro wrestlers samoa joe uh-huh i wanted to call him better dad <laughs> i also correct because it was just so evident that he was like uh suan this little girl she meets him very early in the movie and from the jump he's like acting paternal he's yeah. kind of like helping her and guiding her and like listening to her yeah he's his wife awesome too dad. like the two of them yeah. kind of like they're the ones looking out for her and that's how they get separated in the first place kind of because the pregnant wife makes sure the child suan is not gonna get bit by zombies so they prioritize saving her especially because they don't even think they could see the dad at the time so they had no idea he, like they could have thought he was dead for all they knew yeah i like this movie a lot and I almost think I'm, like, trying to talk myself into things I don't like about it. But it <laughs> really? did feel like, it did feel like a lot of the characters in this movie were either 100% good or 100% bad. And I don't necessarily mind that. And and with the only character who changes well, being Sekwoo. Yeah. yeah he, he, he goes through an arc. But, like, I remember early on in the movie thinking, I didn't quite buy Suwon being this like, she's the kind of child who you would pick to be the new Dalai Lama. <laughs> she's just still and silent and kind and sort of just, like, floating through the world, just being like, my mother says to not be kind to homeless people is to be a trash person yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she just says all of these, like, beautiful, kind little words and then just sort of, like, floats throughout. Uh, it wasn't until, like, later in the movie when she started being affected by things that I was like, oh, right, this is a little kid. It almost mm-hmm. felt like she was sort of this sage for a long time. Oh, really? And, yeah. And Samoa Joe felt a little bit like he was a perfect dad to a point where I was like, oh, he's going to die for sure. And it almost <laughs> like, again, zombie tropes. The good people have to go. It doesn't It doesn't work if the if we kill our shitty businessman in act one even though we need him to die 
We need that human antagonist for him to fuck shit up along the way, because the humans are the true monsters, Mikey. <laughs> right. We, we need to think of a new angle on zombie movies besides like, wow, what if the humans are the true monsters? <laughs> we know. They've been the true monsters. The racist dudes killed the guy in Land of the Living Dead, the very first zombie movie. We get it. Humans are worse than zombies. <laughs> Uh, did you have any favorite set pieces from this movie, Roxy? Did you have any mm. moments that you were just like, holy shit, I can't believe they're pulling this off? I think just the way that the train car is so claustrophobic and they're able to film it in such a way that it, it doesn't feel like a set, even though you know it's a set. Mm. I, you know it's a set, uh, but it doesn't feel like one in such a natural way because they're able to get the kind of shots and like close-ups and stuff as they're moving through. And that whole sequence specifically that we were talking about earlier when they have to get from one train car to the next where they're going through each car and like have to find a different way to get through it in particular mm -hmm. has this sort of forward momentum to it that is very mm -hmm. fun to see and watch through <laughs> they always say that that's why in like house or in the west wing when characters just have to have a scene that's just walking and talking expository dialogue they walk down a hallway <laughs> because it feels like the story's moving forward yeah the moment that got me in this movie that I was like, oh, this movie is like really special was when they stopped at that first train station and you slowly understood. I don't feel like it was a big jump scare, but it was like, oh, they're all zombies here. <laughs> like, it's nothing but zombies. And the note I wrote uh, was, oh, no, they got the whole military. <laughs> <laughs> it's very scary that the military <laughs> gets overrun. I feel like in any... We've seen this in what? Until... Not Until Dawn, but that the same <laughs> company, um, their second... Man of Medan. Yes, Man of Medan. Where it's like, when the military comes in, they just exterminate everybody. <laughs> like, if the military gets there, the threat is going to be eliminated. Uh, that felt to me like... Maybe it's just like the Resident Evil... Uh, Man of Medan, like, influence in me, but it's like, I feel like I've been kind of trained that, like, if the military's there, things are gonna be handled. And for them to be like, uh, the zombies won. <laughs> the zombies yeah. beat the military felt like a giant moment to me. And that was the first moment where I was like, how are any of these characters gonna survive? They also don't and ever access, like, weapons. Like, the baseball kids have baseball bats that they brought mm -hmm. with them on their trip. Even though those military yeah. guys are there, they don't get guns or anything from it. They just have to run. Like, it's not an option to fight these things. You cannot. <laughs> That's a great point. It was such a giant moment when Samoa Joe gets a shield. Yeah, yeah. He just picks up a shield and a baton from the <laughs> ground. Yeah, and it was like, oh, <laughs> this changes everything. And it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like in any zombie video game, that shield has like three uses and then it shatters. Like uh, Link's sword in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> it just like, <laughs> it erupts into blue energy and is gone. It's like, I guess, I, uh, ho I hope I'm going to still survive. Got to upgrade that durability somehow. Uh, can we talk real quick about these two old ladies? Yeah, let's do it. What, what do you want to start with about these old ladies? Okay. They're both, both actresses are old ladies, correct? Yes, they are. Okay. <laughs> Why? There's these two old sisters in this movie that we meet. One of them looks like an old lady, and one of them looks like a 25-year-old SNL actor playing an old lady in a sketch. I think it's because her makeup is extremely thick. Is probably why, maybe? It could be makeup. It felt like her hair looked very wig-like. Mm. Yeah, it does have a lot of volume to I it. I referred to them both as, I, I called them real grandma and SNL grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and I was glad that real grandma was the one that died with emotional stakes and SNL grandma was the one who had her big moment where she just like, fuck you, you yeah. killed my sister, I'm gonna throw open the door. <laughs> yeah. It was like, the one who wanted to be treated like a real character was a real character and the one who wanted to have like a funny, powerful, like, <laughs> fuck yeah moment was, looked like a, a Bob Odenkirk <laughs> in, a, in a mask. It was insane. <laughs> Roxy, one thing that I thought would be very funny, and it felt like the movie was kind of playing with, uh -huh. is the idea that Busan just had no idea that any of this was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all these people that are trying to like, get here, what? It reminded me of, like, uh, I, I feel like this was like a Looney Tunes thing, where there'd be like a pie fight going on in one room, and then they would just cut to, like, 
the symphony going on in the next room and like nobody pays attention and then it's like and then you just go back to chaos and it's like the world is ending over here and then it's just like and then some people are uh at a gala and they're sipping champagne (laughs) i like busan being just oblivious yeah and it's also more of a i I don't know like it's it's a destination that we never see even Mm -hmm. though our our survivors uh suan and the pregnant woman make it to like the boundary of busan we never actually see busan but like you were saying before with the military the military is intact there and they almost kill them because they think they're zombies because they're going through this dark train tunnel and like they're injured and like sad Mm -hmm. they're not really limping but they're walking on uneven ground so it looks like they could be limping zombies so good so we we set up early in the movie that suan has this like concert at school where she's gotta sing and she gets so scared, and she doesn't do it. Her dad isn't her there. Dad's she, not there. She practiced it for him. She practiced it for dad, and dad <laughs> didn't show up. He had to go to work. He tried to make it up to her by buying her a Nintendo Wii. Guess what, buddy? You already bought her a Nintendo. I know. <laughs> I didn't include that in the summary because I was like, I want to, but there's so much summary to get through. <laughs> it doesn't make enough sense to do it right now. It's, it's very yeah, funny that he like <laughs> gets her a Nintendo Wii for her birthday, and she's like glances yeah she doesn't even say anything it just looks at it (laughs) it really does make it clear that like the divide between people who grew up with video games and people who didn't like i would never make that right right like how could you it was such a massive deal to get a video game console (laughs) that i would i would be like we are a different kind of family now that we have a Wii. yeah we are the kind of family who can play mario galaxy (laughs) we're Wii family now we're a wee family. <laughs> Go home, Jessica. You're not a part of our family anymore. We have a wee. Jessica's the next door neighbor. That wasn't clear. <laughs> Jessica's uh, the next door neighbor. Gotcha. <laughs> she does not have a wee yet. <laughs> she might join their wee family eventually. <laughs> that was messed up. <laughs> but so this movie also had a lot going on with uh, classism throughout it, too. Like having the homeless guy who they don't take seriously and like kind of want to get him off the train um Mm -hmm. and then you've got this businessman guy who is like ordering people around Mm the first time i watched this i didn't really get that he he's somehow connected to the train company so like that's why that train attendant guy does what he says Mm. so it's kind of like he's 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 higher up hierarchically cfo or something yeah yeah, yeah. So he feels like he has authority to basically kill people to save himself whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I and guess- the same with the way the military is controlling, like what information people are getting that is literally leading to them dying because they don't want to admit that they can't handle it. Yeah, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. I guess we're kind of getting into the big idea. Yes, of yeah. I guess we kind of are, aren't we? <laughs> um, I hadn't really thought about that as like a a, a control sort of thing. That it feels like Sekou is going through, I don't know how much I see, like, control in his arc, but I think there there is this aspect of, like... Well, Sekou, no, to- the, I, I don't know if he's really trying to... Con- well, I guess he kind of is at the beginning, because he thinks he is a, you know, the money gave him control as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, should be able to provide for his daughter, his connections and all that, and he kind of learns that it doesn't. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I guess it's less for me about control than it is about like seeing people lower than you and deciding they're not valuable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I mostly meant by classism. And when he saves the homeless guy, that's kind of, I feel like he probably had a turning point before that, but that is kind of the big one to like really show the audience that he made that change. Cause he yeah. puts himself uh, on the line to save the homeless guy when he does not have to. There's a homeless guy in this movie who is the first one, like, I love this character. I'm, like, obsessed with this character in horror movies. Uh-huh. Um, I always refer to them as the Harbinger. Ooh, yeah. Where it's, like, it's like the guy, like, the teens are driving up to the cabin and they stop to get gas at the gas station right outside. And there's just, like, an old man who's just, like, many darknesses have happened up in that cabin. And they're just, like, all right. And then they just keep going. And then usually... You never see that character again for the rest of the movie, <laughs> which I kind of appreciate. Uh, this movie, like, sends this homeless guy onto the train. He's just like, they're all dead. They're all dead. And then he just becomes, like, part of the ensemble. Like, that's kind of interesting to me that he's, like, he's not sort of this, 
like I feel like Friday the Thirteenth movies do this a lot, where the Harbinger is like this mystical force of a man. Yeah, he's not so much a character as a plot device usually. Yeah. I love that all of a sudden this character is, like, along for the ride with us, and he sort of, like, maybe not gets over his trauma, but, like, becomes functional. Yeah, and I think also- In a way it, that the rest of them do. Yeah, and with Seikwu saving him, he kind of pays it forward then, because later when he's trapped with Suan and the pregnant woman, he sacrifices mm-hmm. himself to, like, distract the zombies while they can get away. So he kind of, like, pays that kindness forward in a way, which sadly it makes him die as a result, but- <laughs> I feel like they were trying to say something with that as well. No, there's definitely this movie has like the point of view that you must be conscientious of people. The people who are going to survive and who last the longest are the ones who are helping others. And the people who don't are, I guess we get our one asshole guy, but like clearly the movie's point of view is that like you've got to start thinking of other people instead of yourself. Yeah, because like it can get you to a certain point like it did with our human villain character, Mm -hmm. but ultimately you're still by yourself and like that's why it's not going to work out (laughs) because you chose yourself over everyone else. Uh, In in that lens, tell me what you thought. I, I felt like the SNL grandma's choice to open the door felt a little muddy thematically Hmm. in that like i didn't understand what the movie was saying because she kind of has this moment where she's like her sister turns into a zombie and she sees her through the glass and she's like you idiot you always put others before yourself which again i think it's pretty clear this movie's point of view is you should do that and then we get this muddy moment that i don't know maybe i just misinterpreted that i didn't quite understand it felt like she was saying like you're an idiot for being that way and so therefore like it it was the one moment where it felt like the movie was saying like only fools would help others no i think she was did to this she was sad because she lost her sister and i think she appreciated that part of her that she was so selfless but was like sad that she died so she's saying like you were a fool to do that but not like you're really not like i i disparage your ideology more so that like you're a fool because now i've lost you. yes yeah i think that's why she said it and that's why also like she waited till the survivors who like helped her sister got out of the train car and then was just kind of like mm. well my sister's here i don't have a reason to live and these people literally doomed her to die because they wouldn't let her <laughs> in in time so fucking get revenge on these assholes <laughs> Because they they condemned a pregnant lady and a child (laughs) without even (laughs) checking to see if they were infected. They just listened to the shitty businessman guy and just got completely uh, mob mentality selfishness from it. That is such a, like, realistic thing that just, like, the one confident voice in the room is taken as fact. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because (laughs) confident people are stupid. Imagine (laughs) being so stupid that you thought you were right about something. Yeah, it happens more often than you'd think, I bet. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm a pretty smart person, but so much of that comes from me being like, am I getting this wrong? Should I double check this? Should I work hard and, and figure out uh, what the truth of this is? <sighs> I can't imagine just being like, no, I'm right. Yeah, I, I always- decided we should condemn these people to death. I can't imagine it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like, you need to always be questioning- and like analyzing things especially in a situation like this where it's literally life and death you can't just make mm-hmm. decisions like that based on nothing <laughs> other than like your own selfishness although i guess it's also the flip side of humans will do anything to survive which a lot of different zombie movies will kind of highlight that concept this mm-hmm. one it feels like to an extent we see that with our uh with our villain why do i keep forgetting his name young sook uh young sook where we kind of see that with him, where he's literally willing to do anything to survive. Um, and at the end, like, right before he dies, and he has, like, the final kind of, like, wrestle match on that train. <laughs> so tight. <laughs> he says, like, he needs to get to his mother. He says, my mother is mm. waiting for me. I need to get to my mother. Which doesn't vindicate anything he did in any way. Mm. Um, and, of course, he's just trying to save his own life. For all you know, that could just be you know, an excuse to be able to be well, like, oh, I'm going to go see my mother, so I have to survive, so I'll kill everyone who <laughs> I can if I need to to get get there. And also that the one relationship in his life that matters is the person who was there from the beginning. Like, he didn't yeah. form any lasting bonds that we know of. Yeah, 
he didn't have anybody else to go for. <laughs> yeah. Shitty man. Yeah. Roxy, I have a question for you. And do you? Okay. Let's let's hear it. What's what's the question, Mikey? And I am very ready to answer this question first if you want a second to think. I think but- so. I should have asked you what this was before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have figured this out. Roxy, what person, mm-hmm. living or dead, would you be most afraid to see turned into a zombie? Uh, um And again, I can go first because I I know exactly my answer. Okay, yeah, because it's like, do I want to go funny or serious here? I don't know. So you set the tone, please. <laughs> For me? Uh-huh. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, we <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So Stone Cold Steve Austin, obviously, four-time WWF champion, baddest SOB on the planet. Beer drinking motherfucker. Uh-huh. Zombies are scary. Yes. Stone Cold Steve Austin is scary because he'll always hit you, wham, with the Stone Cold Stunner. But so if he does that now as a zombie with, If like- he's a zombie and he can also do the Stone Cold Stunner, that's very <laughs> scary to me. And he won't have that brain power to tell him to not overexert himself with it, so I bet it would be, like, super-powered <laughs> Stone Cold Stunner. <laughs> he's not doing it for TV anymore, he's doing it for real. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very scary. Uh, well, by that token, I'd say I think The Rock is stronger than St- Stone Cold, so I'd say The Rock would be scarier. <laughs> <laughs> can't fight The Rock, especially not Zombie Rock. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, al- also, I like The Rock, so that would make me sad as well <laughs> to see him yeah, no, as a he's zombie. Great. <laughs> I think he would defeat uh, Zombie Stone Cold Steve Austin. What do you think, Mikey? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if they were fighting at Zombie WrestleMania 17 <laughs> for the zombie <laughs> WWF championship. Yeah. Listen, The Rock's got a chance. Okay, Mikey, how likely do you think this is to happen? This scenario, being on a train, zombie outbreak. What, what do you think? I'm going to say on a scale of one to nine, uh-huh. ten doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Uh, I said a seven. A seven. Okay. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Zombie apocalypse. Zombies get into awkward places. They get into subway stations. They get into desert islands. They get into museums. And those are all relatively good places to fight zombies. And those are the kind of places we've seen zombie movies fight. We haven't seen a ton of zombie movies about places that are impractical to fight zombies. And zombies would be there. It's true. If humans are there. get into, they would. Zombies would be there. Like the ants in your apartment. They <laughs> no. can get everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd they come from? I don't know. <laughs> The, the place I was most worried about seeing zombies would be, you know, those small drive through Starbucks uh-huh. that are just big enough for like two people the coffee to bar and a walk up window. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. how would you find it? What if you were locked in there with a zombie? That'd be terrible. Or ideal. if like you're, that's the only place you're locked into and then the zombies are all around you and then you're stuck in this little right. box. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> and that's gonna happen to some people if we accept that a zombie apocalypse happens. Yeah. If you were trapped in a Starbucks during a zombie apocalypse, at least you would have plenty of biscotti and croissants to eat. I think I had. What do you think? I had two ratings for this because one is I think a nine out of nine. This is how humans would probably react. We'd have this big range of people being assholes and people mm. being actually showing like genuine human kindness. <laughs> in that, in that sense, I think that it would be maybe a one because I don't think anybody would well show any human kindness. I think when you have the dynamic of the parent and child kind of thing, when you have loved ones, I think that's that's when it comes into play. Maybe not with complete strangers, but I think for sure, like family units and stuff like that. Have you ever heard of the movie? This is very off topic. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Force Majeure? No, I have not. What is that? I haven't either. Okay. okay. And I want to watch it so bad. And like, is it a I horror almost want to watch it. I don't think so, but it's truly the most horrifying experience I can think of. Uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. It's about a family who, like, is in a cabin up in the mountains, and there's, like, a snow avalanche. Uh-oh. And they, like, look out. The dad, like, looks out, sees that the snow is coming, and instead of making sure his wife and children are safe, he grabs his phone and runs out the door. What? <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is about him, like, dealing with this truly cowardly act oh my god i mean it's and that it's fight or flight so thing right like you don't right. know how you or someone else is going to react until you're put into a situation like that and it kind of tells you who someone really is one way it's or another the scariest thing i can yeah. imagine that <laughs> is truly a horror movie scenario <laughs> it really is it sounds like it could be maybe spooky maybe we could watch it for an episode or something if we I can just, guarantee just, if it's horror or not <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, sorry, you said you had a second rating also. Yeah, and the second one for how likely it is to happen. I mean, I I don't think we'll get a real life zombie outbreak. So I guess someone yeah. out at night. <laughs> also start with yeah, zombie it's... deer. So is it just like anybody's a zombie? Anybody and everything? Any living creature is a zombie now? Are we going to get zombie you know, elephants like a Resident Evil outbreak predicted? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but that movie does do Chekhov's zombie animal. Yeah, we never get a payoff for that. <laughs> Where, like, they set up the idea that animals can turn into zombies, and then we never see another animal zombie for the rest of the movie. That is a problem. And when we learn that the zombie outbreak came from the pharmaceutical company and not, like, you know, something that happened in nature that got, like, twisted or something as mm-hmm. well, starting off with a deer. I mean, I guess a deer is supposed to symbolize innocence to an extent, and, like, the corruption of innocence maybe is what they were thinking, because it's very striking. Mm. I mean, the CGI actually looked pretty good <laughs> for it, too, when it, like, gets itself back up. It is... that That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but the opening image of horror in this movie is this deer that this guy plowed through reanimating itself in this incredible, like, frightening animation. Yeah. And that is the scariest moment of the movie. The, it, the rest of the yeah. movie is emotional and interesting, but that was scarier. Like, I feel like, as we're talking about it, Suwan needed, like, a cat or something that she was, like, <laughs> carrying with her in a kennel. Or at least, like, maybe a stuffed a animal or something. Oh, you wanted to turn to a zombie. Okay. <laughs> or, or, like, or a stuffed animal. <laughs> <laughs> something that, like, really? symbolized her attachment, maybe. <laughs> Roxy, we never even considered, like, what happens if, like, Annabelle turns into <laughs> You want to talk about Shit, Stone Cold Mikey, Steve Austin? Mikey, you gotta trademark that. Is also scary thing. Blumhouse is gonna steal your idea. You gotta trademark that. <laughs> They're like running away from zombie Annabelle. They're like, she was already very scary. <laughs> and now she's a zombie demon doll. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh my goodness. Roxy, last week we made a bet. How many people were gonna survive the train to Busan? We sure did. I said three. You said two. I said two. The answer's two. <laughs> it sure <That's>, is. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh-huh. Is it two? I'm literally just in this moment realizing, oh. I think I won. Yeah. The pregnant actually, lady counts as two. Yes, she does. She does. Wow. <laughs> okay, uh, Mikey. Uh, um... Clutch moment. <laughs> uh, buzzer beater. <laughs> Mikey McCaller comes in with the win. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, congratulations, cool. Mikey. You, uh... Thank you. Won very spectacularly this week. <laughs> we, got, we got to remember to go through and count up who's... See who's winning. <laughs> at, at some point. Definitely not at this point. It's a mystery. Yeah. yeah, that's not time. Hey, Roxy, you know, there's a lot of scary things in the scary basement. Maybe you don't realize why they're scary, but they're scary. And that's why we got the guest that we did for today. Before we bring him on, Roxy, I just want to ask you, there were a lot of sad deaths in Train to Busan, but which one would you say was the saddest? Uh, I don't know. The dad, probably? Well, Roxy, here to power rank the saddest deaths is ESPN commentator Stephen A. Smith. What's up, Stephen? Yeah, 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 it's me, Stephen A. Smith. And you know, there's no one better to power rank the deaths and train to Busan in terms of their raw, emotional devastation. Sure, it hurts when you see a dad take a bite or a grandma get a throat chomp, but whose death was the saddest? Let's start out with number five, the little girl's mom. The way Suwan talks to her on the phone, all crawling under the blankets and whatnot, you know she loves her mom. She loves her, and she's never gonna see her mom again. That is unacceptable. Number four. Now, uh, hold on, hold on, Stephen. Are you sure about these rankings? Okay, I'm really glad you said something, Mikey. I don't think that power rankings are the best way to talk about these very, very sad deaths. Oh, no, I was asking Stephen A. if he was sure he wanted to put the mom at number five. Bro, we didn't even see her get killed. Uh, what do you think happened, Mikey McCullough? What What do you think happened? You think she... Left her phone on the counter while she ran out to get herself a McDonald's? That mom is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. You can't rank how sad a death is. They're all pretty sad. But, you know, you make it sound like these deaths got you all all hyped up. 
Well, if you're going to power rank anything, you got to be hype about it. That's what makes it a power ranking and not a top five list. Why are we even power ranking this? <laughs> Number four, Jin Hee. She stepped up to high school baseball star Yangguk and handled her business, telling him she wanted to be with him. Woo! I don't care who you are, unrequited love hurts. And it's even worse when they die. Am I right? Damn, Stephen A, that was a sad death. I cannot wait to hear who you think was sadder. Oh, you're gonna love this. My number three saddest death. The oldest woman in the game, Granny. Now, all right, I know, she was already at the end of her life when the zombie attack went down, but I'll tell you this. When she leaves a voicemail on her voice, trembling, trembling, Mikey McCullough, she tells Shake Wu to take care of Sue Ann this is a woman who was thinking of others before herself, even as she died. That, my friends, resonates thematically. I mean, damn, if you aren't moved by Granny's death, I, I mean, I question whether you've even got a heart in your chest. And there is one man we know has a huge heart. My number two pick, Safe Wu. Let me tell you something right now, Roxy Polk. Let me tell you something right now, Mikey McCauley. You listening to me? You listening to me? This man went through an arc. He starts off as a bad dad. And by the end of the movie, this man cares about others. He puts other people on the train before himself. He sacrifices himself. <laughs> If you don't think Sequel's death is sad, I'm, I'm sorry, but but you're a sociopath and you need to go see a therapist or a Reiki healer or something. I felt empty when Sequel died. Me too. Woo! Hold on, Stephen A. You don't have Sequel at number one, even though he died thinking about his baby daughter? No, I do not, and I'll tell you why. Because you know who didn't even get a chance to think of his baby daughter when he died? My number one pick. You know who it is. Sanghua. Why? Why? This man has a pregnant wife. A daughter he is never gonna see. A daughter who is gonna live her entire life not knowing her dad was a badass. She is statistically more likely to fill the void left by a dad with with drugs and alcohol. Woo! This is what we call a whiff, man. You took a big swing and you whiffed. No way is a man who fought valiantly and failed more sad than the main character imagining his baby daughter's birth as he sacrifices himself. Oh, okay. Let's go to the stats. Su Wan and Seik Wu, five years together. Two Nintendo Wii. Sang Hua, zero years together. Zero Nintendo Wii. Which do you think is more sad, huh? No way can you call a relationship that hasn't even begun sadder than an established relationship lost just as it was beginning to bloom. Is lost potential more tragic than lost actuality? Well, Aristotle says matter exists potentially because it may attain to the form, but when it exists actually, it is then in the form. Aristotle's definition of IntelliKey was, at best, rudimentary. Enough bickering. Stephen A. Smith, return to your cell immediately. Oh, okay. So Stephen A. Smith lives in the scary basement. You know, Stephen A. Smith, scarier than you'd think. I mean, he was very energetic. He had a very intense energy to him that I don't think I've ever witnessed up close and personal in another human being before. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, he's just a lot. And it's just like he makes you wonder, like, oh, God. If this is the baseline for people, am I a dull person? And that's honestly what's scariest about him to me. Hey, Mikey. Huh? Are you a bad man? <laughs> is that how hey. he says it? <laughs> yeah. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it right. Eight time. <laughs> no, aced oh. it. Oh my God, that was incredible. <laughs> Are you sure? He's shaking his head over there. I don't know if I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's giving a big thumbs down. Yeah, fuck. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> anyway... Oh boy, here he comes. Here he ah. comes, our boy Demon Bot. Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Train to Pusan. Your souls are safe for another week. 
For next week, you must review the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lyne and starring Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. If you do not, your souls will be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. <laughs> I won't let you down, Demon Bot, I swear. I'll watch no, we'll, Jacob's Ladder, I'll do it. <laughs> we'll watch it. We're going to keep our souls. Yes. Uh, we're going to watch Jacob's Ladder. Let's do a bet for next week, huh? Yeah, let's do it, Mikey. All right. For next week, our bet, we'll do a classic kill count. Okay. How many people, Roxy, do people. you think will die in Jacob's Ladder? Um, I can't remember how much of Vietnam is in this movie. So I could, if it, we got a war scene or something, I could be grossly under predicting this. Um, I'm going to guess five. Okay. I'm going to guess eight. Eight. Okay. Because that feels like the right amount of people to to die. It feels like eight's a good number of, like, deaths to sprinkle throughout a movie. Especially because you got to start ramping it up at the end. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I know what you're saying. You get it. I get it. Do you get it? Do they get it? You listening get it? The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The person who is closest to the number of kills in the film is the winner. The winner gets a copy of a video game inspired by this film, Silent Hill. This copy has even been remastered in HD. All right, Roxy, let's get out of here. Uh, as you know, each week Demon Bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door to keep us from escaping. Yep. And yet each week we still escape. <laughs> hey, uh, Mikey, we've seen a lot of horror movies. We've we've got a lot of tactics in our brains, I think. We are pretty much experts at this point yeah. at escaping from monsters. Right? So it's not a surprise we've made it as long as we have. This week I just, uh, I prepared a little bit. Okay, good. See, look, look at Mikey's growth. We're we're figuring out how to get out of here for real. This time. I I knew there was going to be a monster to fight. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I just got ready. I brought shoulder pads and a helmet, so whatever monster is outside the trap door, I'm just going to tackle him. Okay, I've got uh, holy water, which might work if it's something that hates holy water. But uh, let's go with your thing first. Great. Okay, yeah, I'll do it first. Okay, uh, let me just open the trap door here. Oh, it's a simple Dracula. I'm just going to tackle him. Okay. Wait, wait. Does Holy Water work on Draculas? <laughs> ah! Damn! What a hit! That Mikey McCullough is a bad man!